Hi, this is Lisa, and you are listening to I Love That Movie. This podcast is for movie lovers. It's not an unbiased opinion. It's not a straightforward review. It's just a couple people talking about a movie that they love. The format is each week I have a guest, and that guest and I discuss a movie that they love, something they're obsessed with, something they connect with. We'll talk about the plot, the director, and the actors, but we'll also talk about the personal connection my guest has with that movie. So if that sounds like something you want to listen to, keep listening. Hey, this is Lisa, and I have a new guest with me here today. Uh, this is Matt. Say hi, Matt. Hey, what's up? Hey, hey, Matt. Uh, if you want to like introduce yourself real quick, since you are new to the show. Uh, well, my name's Matt Wilson. Um, I like movies a lot. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's good for this podcast. Yes. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, I do computer repair remotely so i get to work in my pajamas all day which also helps me watching movies Uh, (laughs) i also studied uh film and broadcasting and stuff in college so that was cool oh that's awesome that's great well uh what movie are we discussing today uh my favorite movie conan the barbarian i did not know that about you and just inside note i've known matt for a pretty long time I don't remember when we met, like the year. I I think it's one of those things where I like pretend like it wasn't that long ago because that means I'm old. Do you know what year that was? <laughs> I don't I don't remember exactly what year it was, but I do know that the Backstreet Boys were still popular at the time. So I know that that, <laughs> that that's the time frame I think that I can work with. Basically, that sounds insane. Yeah, I mean, it, I'm gonna say. Oh four. Yeah, it's got to be. It's got to be. It was early, a long time ago. Early aughts, somewhere in that neighborhood. At this point, it's hard to like. It's hard to pinpoint the the exact year. I feel like because every everything from about two thousand to two thousand five just is kind of one time sandwich. Yes. Yeah. I totally agree. Well. Um. So. So. Yeah. So I didn't know this was your favorite movie. That's. 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 It. That's exciting. I had not seen this movie before. So Oh really? Yeah. No, I don't think I've ever like I may have seen clips. Okay. But I don't think I've ever like sat down and watched it. Um, but what about you? When when did you first see this? Oh, I saw this when I was a kid, uh, when I was little. We were watching it uh off of a VHS recording from HBO and I would just rewatch it all the time. But uh it's weird thinking back on it because there's definitely a lot of that movie that I didn't absorb at that age. <laughs> you know, I yeah, would, I was going to ask you about that yeah. <laughs> as we go through it. <laughs> yeah, uh, I was shocked. <laughs> yeah, it it I I, I was definitely left uh, to my own devices watching movies a lot as a kid, and I watched a lot of like Star Wars and Indiana Jones and stuff like that. Sure. Conan the Barbarian was uh, that was definitely a movie that maybe I shouldn't have been allowed to watch back then, uh, but I definitely <laughs> did. Yeah, um, and then years later, because I didn't have that VHS anymore for a long time, uh, I 
was buying a DVD player when they were still new, you know, like it was like a cool new thing to get. And the first movie that I bought on DVD was this director's cut of Conan the Barbarian. And it blew wow. me away how good it looked on DVD. <laughs> uh, Have you seen it since then on Blu-ray now? Oh, yeah. Um, like, uh, well, uh, the did I buy it on Blu-ray? I'm pretty sure that I did. I've seen it in like high def since then also. But what amazed me, I think, so much was how cleaned up a lot of the scenes looked. Because I guess they digitally remastered it whenever they put it on DVD. So there were a lot of scenes where like you'd see the sky and just stuff like that. And it it looked like it was it could have just been shot as opposed to being like almost 30 years old, basically. Right. So, but yeah, so it was one of my my favorite DVD purchases to date still, and also the first DVD I ever bought. Oh, that's really cool. Well, um, I guess before we dive in, we'll just say, you know, Conan the Barbarian came out in 1982, mm -hmm. which is why I was kind of like, how did I not watch this growing up? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I realize now that that maybe that, that I definitely should have seen it, <laughs> yeah. but somehow just wasn't on my radar. It, it could have been, I mean, I, I think, you know, maybe my parents, my parents did have a, a, a lot of control over what I watched. So it could have been some of the like brief nudity that they just were like, this doesn't exist. Don't watch this, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There were, there were several instances of uh, nudity and sexuality in the movie and some pretty graphic violence too. So yeah, that's know. true. Yeah. Yeah. Like for yeah for for kids watching it, it's probably a little bit too violent uh, and sexual. I would imagine for a lot of parents to allow them to watch it. So I can I can definitely see not having seen it as a kid uh, because of the content of the movie for sure. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, with that said, uh, let me go ahead and introduce the plot. And I've, I've got a really brief summary here, and then we'll kind of dive into it. Sure thing. Orphan by Conan is enslaved after his village is destroyed by the forces of a vicious necromancer, Fulsa Doom, and is compelled to push the Wheel of Pain for many years. Once he reaches adulthood, Conan sets off across the prehistoric landscape of the Hyborian Age in search of the man who killed his father and stole his family's sword. With beautiful warrior Valeria and archer Sobatai, he faces a supernatural evil. Ooh. Yep, yep, that's that's it. <laughs> yep, that, that's it in a nutshell for sure. <laughs> yeah, uh, a few things happen along the way. Um, so I, I was going to yep. open it up a little bit and just throw out a couple quick facts. And if you mm -hmm. have some facts that you want to throw in, feel free to do that as well. Oh, I got tons. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. I like that. Okay, so mine is Conan the Barbarian was intended to be the beginning of a franchise with at least four sequels in the pipeline, and Arnold Schwarzenegger had committed to all of them. Mm -hmm. I thought that was interesting. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, they only ever made one sequel to it, and it wasn't the same director. So, um. Um, like they, so they made Conan the Destroyer, which is it's not as good of a movie, um, but. It's still really fun to watch for some of the reasons that I like Conan the Barbarian. Gotcha, uh, gotcha. If you're a fan, you'll like it, basically. Right. Yeah. Uh, I also had that 200 workers built the sets in a large warehouse outside Madrid. The production crew were made up of people from Italy, England, the U.S., and Spain. 
1,500 extras were employed, and the score was performed by a 90-piece orchestra and a 24-member choir singing mock Latin. Mm-hmm. Crazy. Yeah. Really big production. Yeah, the soundtrack to that movie is fantastic. Um, that was uh, it was the same composer that did the soundtrack for Hunt for Red October also. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, That's so, really cool. Yeah. It, it's one of the better fantasy movie soundtracks of all time, and the uh, – the title track on it is so iconic uh, mm-hmm. that I heard it on another movie one time. It, w- it was a trailer for Gladiator, actually, before Gladiator came out. Yeah. And uh, I thought – I didn't know that it was Gladiator, obviously, because it was like the first teaser trailer or whatever for Gladiator in the theaters. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, my God, is there going to be a new Conan movie? Is there going to – nope, it was Gladiator. <laughs> but that's fine. Yeah, I, re- I read that they, they use the soundtrack a lot in, in uh, trailers – and as a stand-in uh, when they're composing uh, film scores. So it's like still used. Mm-hmm. Uh, when Oliver Stone wrote the script, he made Arnold Schwarzenegger read comics and fantasy novels to see how he handled the period dialogue. Stone set the story in the future after the downfall of civilization. It was going to be a four-hour saga and had a host of creatures. It would have cost the studio $70 million dollars. Um, to pull that off, which would have been around $173 million now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... They refused, obviously. Yep. So uh, John Malius wound up rewriting much of Stone's script, which cut the budget by half and also called for a change in location. He wanted fantasy and accurate detail. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were going to, if I remember right, they were going to be trying to film it in Yugoslavia initially. And that turned out to be a huge cluster. So they ended up filming it all in Spain instead, which yeah. Yeah, they had some really cool locations in Spain, though, so. Cool. Well, did you have any couple quick facts you wanted to run through before we kind of dive into the director and Arnold himself and all that good stuff? So um, during the production of the movie, uh, there was a combat scene between Valeria and some extras. And uh, one of the extras like parried incorrectly and her finger got severed. Oh, my gosh. The, the shooting of the movie. Wow. Um, and uh, I think it, it was one of the the last movies where they used um, swords that could do that. Like they're mostly like plastic and bendy and stuff like that. Now, you know, when they're filming fight scenes, but uh, yeah, so she actually got her finger cut off. It was reattached as far as I know, but I know that in that scene, uh, like John Milius yelled out, Valeria would never let that happen. (laughs) (laughs) Of course he did. (laughs) Ridiculous. Yeah. (laughs) She's not real. (laughs) Yeah. Well, uh, um, that's awesome. <laughs> I I know also that uh, like the the appearance of Thulsa Doom in the movie, his the way that he looks is very, um, it's very kind of ambiguous. Like, and that that's kind of how John Milius wanted it to look. So he gave James Earl Jones like long, straight, dark hair and blue eyes, mm-hmm. and he wanted he wanted him to kind of appear as if he was like the last part of some dead race like some uh dead civilization that you know he was just kind of like a holdover or like one of the last members of it and there's a lot of uh stuff like that in the movie hints of civilizations that had fallen and you just see like ruins of them even though that was an ancient time itself like uh, the 
the sword that he gets, the Atlantean sword, mm-hmm. uh, he gets it in that tomb that he falls into after the wolves are chasing him. And you see all of this iconography all over the tomb. It looks like uh, the fall of Atlantis and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So you, you, you see that kind of stuff a lot throughout the movie, like ruins of uh, old civilizations uh, protected by old gods and stuff like that. And that's kind of what they wanted for James Earl Jones's look in that movie. They wanted him to look exotic and uh, like he was not part of any uh, existing like group of people that were on, on the planet that you could think of. Gotcha. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, the sword that Conan used in the movie, Arnold Schwarzenegger actually kept that, and it's still in his office to this day. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, I would definitely keep that, too. Yeah, uh, for sure. I think it cost something like $100,000 to make it, too. Whenever oh my they, gosh. Yeah. So that's pretty intense. I know that they used some like replica ones during the fight scenes and stuff, but the actual like cool one was super expensive. Oh, my gosh. That's pretty neat, uh, though. It's a really good souvenir. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they they had to do a lot of crazy stuff in that. Um, the There's a scene in the movie where they – you see Conan, like, in the foreground, and at the same time, he's looking off into the distance, and you see, the like, Thulsa Doom and his riders kind of uh, coming up over a ridge and then, like, riding along the ridge. Mm-hmm. And then both – both Conan, who's close to the camera, and that ridge, which is like a mile away, are both in super sharp focus. And it was really difficult to get that shot. They had to get like a special lens developed for that particular scene just to be able to shoot it just how they wanted it. So, like, you wow. can, if you, yeah, if you keep a lookout for that scene in the movie, it's really, you don't see shots like that where both the, both of the, you know, things are in focus like that. We're far off and up close at the same time. Wow. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Well, uh, I guess let's talk a little bit about the director, uh, John Milius, who wrote clear and present danger and apocalypse. Now It, it seems like he mostly wrote, but he did direct a couple of movies. Uh, mm-hmm. saw a rumor at least that he is a personal friend of the Coen brothers and partially the inspiration for Walter and the big Lebowski. Did you see that? I've, I've heard that. Yeah. And that, that wouldn't surprise me because I, you know, hearing, hearing him talk, uh, in like the, uh, the, the commentary and just his kind of attitude, I, I can definitely see a Walter subject being based on him. Absolutely. And I, he also wrote and directed uh, Red Dawn, I think, too. Oh, okay, cool. So he he was he was kind of prolific in the eighties, uh, not not so much lately, but yeah, he did a lot of stuff back then. He was a contemporary of both George Lucas and Steven Spielberg in film school. They were they were part of that same film school brat crew that came out of uh, the school right around that same time and went into Hollywood. So I don't know like his affiliation with those two, but I know that they were all kind of lumped together in uh, Hollywood for a while as being part of that same director group. That's pretty cool. Well, did you have any other uh, like facts about him or anything like that? Um, well, um, nothing huge on John Milius other than, you know, to some of the other stuff he did in the eighties. And uh, I know he's, he's tried to still get uh, another Conan project, 
Oh, really? Uh, been going on. Yeah, they they wanted to have like a King Conan movie, and there was there was talks about it the last couple of years, but I don't I don't think it's going to happen, especially since they already rebooted it again with Cal Drogo, um, <laughs> Jason Momoa, and all that. Yeah, that kind of um, came and went, though, didn't it? Yeah, I mean, it was okay. It wasn't, you know, it was. No I haven't seen it. It was all right. I mean, yeah. it it wasn't it wasn't the same thing at all. Right, but it was okay. still fun. It was still fun to watch. Um, also, the the producer uh, of the movie, Dino De Laurentiis, you know, he's he's known for doing a lot of fantasy stuff on TV and some movies too. But you know, like Hercules and Xena and all that kind of stuff. He was mm, gotcha. The, the De Laurentiis production company was behind all that kind of jazz. Oh, that's I cool. Think, yeah, I think that Chef. Uh, Giada De Laurentiis? I think she's related to him, too. I think she's like his niece or something like that. <laughs> That's interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of interesting stuff going on in the background of that movie, for sure, with the, the writers and producers and directors and everything. Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of people don't realize that Oliver Stone was one of the writers on that, and he was... I mean, that know. surprised me when I read that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I, that kind of shocked me, and I was I was watching some of the behind the scenes on it, and you know, just a little bit about the rewrites and the vision that he had, and all that stuff. So that was kind of interesting. Yeah, his uh, yeah, his vision was it was out there. It would have been interesting to see, <laughs> yeah, sure on yeah. film. But I don't know how they would have done that in that uh, that Hollywood marketplace at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I noticed too. Uh, I guess I didn't have like a big background in like the, the, the character Conan, like where he came from and all that good stuff. So it was interesting reading about him. You know, he sort of came out of pulp uh, magazines that uh, Robert E. Howard wrote in 1932. Like that kind of mm-hmm. surprised me that he's been around that long, you know? Yeah. And Robert E. Howard was, uh, I think it was well known that he was kind of a, uh, he was kind of out there. Yeah, uh, I saw like, that. <laughs> I, I remember reading this story about him where he he was trying to write the Conan stuff, and he was just kind of like locked in his house to finish it. And he, they, I I don't remember the circumstances, but he was having he was having trouble writing it, and he just at one point felt like Conan behind him, just like threatening him, like if he didn't finish writing the story, that he would, you know. Conan axe him or something and so he just went into a frenzy writing so I don't know if that was drug fueled or if he just had other issues but you know apparently that was yeah that was that was the story when I was reading about him yeah it seemed like that was really up for debate just it's crazy too that he only lived to be about 30 oh I didn't know that that is crazy I was reading that he he like um you know kind of dark here he committed suicide at like 30 because his mother, um, she struggled with uh, tuberculosis, and she'd had it for a really long time. And then she slipped into a coma, and he he uh, could not handle that. But he he was like living at home with his parents still, and he's he's a, like a Texas native too. Randy. Yeah, I did, I did know that. Um, yeah. I I wonder how much uh, influence the like the works of Lovecraft had on him because a lot of the the fantasy horror aspects of Conan are very Lovecraftian ways, especially in, um, in Conan, the destroyer more so than the barbarian. Like you have these, uh, old gods that they're trying to bring back with like fell magics and whatever. But yeah, I read that he, he was a fan of Lovecraft. So, Mm -hmm. so that checks out. Yeah. Yeah. 
yeah, I yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit about Arnold Schwarzenegger, otherwise known as Conan in this movie. Um, mm-hmm. When I think of him, I think of, uh, and these are just, this is going to date me a little bit too, uh, True Lies, Terminator, Kindergarten Cop. Those are like the first three that come to mind when I think about him. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, he and, was he was it in the, the 80s and 90s for sure. He was, as far as action movies went, he was like the the torchbearer of all of those and, yeah. uh, you know, in the early 80s, you had him as, uh, I mean, I think you mentioned Terminator. Uh, you had him in Predator. You had yeah, Predator. Uh, Commando. You had uh, Red Heat, uh, Raw Deal. Just like all of those general movies where you had a big, brawny, uh, can't-be-defeated action guy so he he was the he was the one who fit the bill for all of that if it if it wasn't sylvester stallone, sylvester stallone it was arnold schwarzenegger definitely so right right i read that he turned down the role uh for john mcclain in die hard Ooh, like, I, I did, he... <laughs> did not know that <laughs> yeah the, I, I guess he maybe he wanted to i don't know at that point start diversifying his portfolio i don't know i feel like he was still in full swing then but maybe for whatever reason it conflicted with something else Maybe I, you know, honestly, I can't, I cannot visualize him crawling through air ducts. I seriously, just seriously, I like, I, and plus, just Bruce Willis is so good in that role. I just can't really imagine anyone else doing it as much as I like Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> yeah, I can't, I can't see anyone else in that role uh, as John McClane anymore. I mean, I've seen Die Hard too many times at this point, so maybe I'm just biased. But <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I, but I definitely cannot see. Arnold Schwarzenegger doing some of the stuff that that role would have required. Um, And I don't know. I, I feel like his uh, like his accent and all that kind of stuff would have, it would have made it a little bit weird because all of the villains were coming from like Europe and right. <laughs> it was kind of like a Europe, Europe versus America. Like they were, they were the others cause they were coming from Europe. And if he was also like vaguely European, they would have, kind of not had that same feel. I don't know. Right, it would have been a totally different movie. Yeah. Um, I also read that uh, John Milius uh, originally intended for him to do the narration for Conan the Barbarian, but the studio didn't trust his accent, and that's why they went with uh, Mako instead, who played the wizard. Yeah, I'm glad they did. I, I love Mako's voice work. Uh, you know, he was in Avatar The Last Airbender and all that, of course. Oh, okay, cool. I did not know that. That's really interesting. Yeah, I, I, I don't think that Arnold Schwarzenegger is gifted in the area of narration. <laughs> so yeah. not, I think it's best, yeah. Yeah, not nearly as much. Absolutely, I agree. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I, I don't know if you watched Avatar The Last Airbender, but he was uh, Uncle Iroh in that. I've watched a couple episodes. It's one of those shows that I've always meant to go back and like watch all of, and I just haven't. Mm. But uh, but you know what I did see, I really liked. Gotcha. He also showed up in uh, he showed up in Conan the Destroyer. There weren't there weren't very many crossover uh, characters like Conan. Obviously, um, Valeria shows up in a scene in the Destroyer, but uh, Mako turns out to be like one of the main characters in that movie instead of just, like a secondary character. So uh, that was nice to see him like show up more in the in the Destroyer also. Oh, cool. Well, um, I, the last actor that I had written down, unless do you have any more facts you wanted to share about Arnold? Um, 
I mean, I, I know that he did pretty much all of his stunts in that movie himself, and he got banged up a lot during the production. Uh, I don't know if you remember the scene where the wolves were chasing him. Um, I heard this, yeah. Yeah, they definitely <laughs> okay. they definitely caught him at least once, if not more than oh one. Oh my gosh. Uh, the scene where he's like falling down those the rocks in the tomb, like he's absolutely just like falling down those rocks in that scene. Oh my scene. gosh. Uh, yeah, he got he got beat up pretty good in the the filming of that movie but you know well um, and he said something that i hadn't thought of but i guess especially at the time he was just so big he was saying there's not really anyone that could be his body double (laughs) yeah yeah that that uh i think was the main problem for that one like because there were a lot of other big guys in that movie but they didn't have his same body type right yeah it's just something that doesn't come up often for actors (laughs) Yeah, you know they usually don't have that physicality where you know, it needs to be matched on that level. It kind of made me think like, okay, so, you know, now we have like the rock, right? Mm -hmm. He's kind of our new Arnold, like who body doubles for that guy? (laughs) Yeah, that's a good question. But I, I feel like, um, you know, after we had Arnold on the screen, like that, that kind of size of actor, and that became a little bit more common, um, that, you know, the stunt community may have had to catch up, especially with Arnold making so many action movies after Conan the Barbarian, that he i'm sure he had stunt doubles for the vast majority of those after that point right. so, that yeah. makes sense and i mean he probably affected how men look on screen in general now i feel like they make movies where guys are just like a dad and they have like a six-pack now yeah <laughs> it's like everybody is so huge now um yeah. So the last actor that I had written down was uh, Sandal Bergman, who played Valeria. I, she looked very familiar to me, and I couldn't place her. But then when I was watching the behind the scenes, they were talking about she was in uh, all that jazz. And I was like, yeah. that must have been where I saw her then. Yeah, and that that was the reason that she was cast in the role, too, because she was a dancer in that movie, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. And, That's right. Uh, I know that uh, the the director saw that movie, and he, he wanted – Valeria to be like a Valkyrie. That was like his okay. vision for her character, basically. So he wanted someone that was graceful, but could also be, you know, violent at the same time. And he, he figured that uh, a dancer would be the best way to make that happen. Like someone who was skilled in dance, but also had the kind of physique to be a warrior at the same time. Yeah, yeah. I, I will say just in general watching this movie, I don't think I've ever felt like so out of shape (laughs) or like aware of how not fit I am (laughs) like watching this everyone literally looks perfect you're like man that's a lot of fit pretty people in one movie (laughs) yeah the only the only movie I can think that makes me feel less adequate is 300 Uh, (laughs) I could see that (laughs) that movie is like everyone literally looks like a god yeah (laughs) yeah it's like how much money did CrossFit make just from training the cast of that movie? And <laughs> good, good point. Well, on that note, let's, let's kind of dive into the movie itself. Um, so, so we can do this one of two ways. We can kind of go chronologically if you want, or we can just pick out a couple of your highlights, your favorite scenes. So whatever you want to do. Um, well, uh, I mean, chronologically is fine. Cause I mean, there's a lot, okay. to un- there's a lot to unpack in this movie for sure. So mm-hmm. the very beginning you have them, together forging that sword which is like it's basically the MacGuffin for the movie right mm-hmm. it's them, the, the sword that his father makes with him watching and he's telling him about the riddle of steel basically 
which is the the answers to the riddle of steel plus that sword are what he's basically searching for throughout the whole movie um as as well as his vengeance of course um Mm -hmm. and then right after that scene where you know he's up on the the mountain talking with his father which that that was one of the scenes that i was thinking about when i was thinking how well that movie was cleaned up digitally by the way it's it's okay it just looks fantastic uh but right after that is when thulsa doom and his goons ride in with their you know snake uh black sun black moon snake banners ride in and just massacre the village for you know no reason uh that scene uh it's that's one of the the more uh brutal and just well shot like ancient battle scenes i had seen uh up until like the lord of the rings came out anyway uh where they're the the weaponry the armor um like the ancient looking almost viking looking village that they're living in uh it just everything looked period correct for you know something kind of vaguely before written records in you know europe ish area and uh it it really kind of set the tone for the rest of the movie that you you didn't really know what was coming next, but you knew it was probably going to be super violent, uh, but also be shot really well and have an amazing score to it. So, um, Also, there's after uh, the whole village is wiped out and it's pretty much just Conan and his mother facing off against Thulsa Doom, you have this really interesting scene where she is protecting him against all the forces and they everyone's just kind of taking a a chill for a moment and waiting for Thulsa Doom to show up and get off his horse and take off his crazy helmet. And they give him the sword that they had taken from Conan's father. And he's looking it over and he thinks it's cool, but he gives it to his lieutenant because uh, I guess he's got his own stuff. He doesn't really need it. And he goes and faces off with Conan's mom. And you, you don't have a battle between the two of them he basically just snake charms her like he stares her in the eyes until she just like lowers her guard and then you know what what happens happens he kills her but you you kind of get that there's something supernatural about his character just from that like he's not casting spells or throwing around energy or whatever like you'd see in a an action fantasy movie now it's it's just him with his like strange like kind of uh out of place blue eyes staring this person down and they just you know lower their guard like you would not expect them to so i that that whole sequence in the town i i feel like sets up the movie in a really interesting non-verbal way cuz it's you know show don't tell and that that whole scene is just show there's not a lot of talking in the movie like you have mako uh narrating a little bit here and there but it's it seems like that where there's not any dialogue that you get a lot out of yeah that's true um that first scene where uh where they have that like long stare off with the mother mm-hmm. i thought that was really interesting mm-hmm like I, you know, I kind of, especially since it was like my first time seeing it, I was like, well, what's going to happen next? And it's a pretty brutal next scene, but I, I kind of liked that the way they set it up with that, the tension with the standoff. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a very tense scene, and you it it's not really clear at the time why she would lower her guard like that, but it it sets that seed where you're just like, I mean, there's there's something more than what we're seeing here that is causing her to do this. Like he must have some sort of power that we're not aware of yet. And obviously his snake-like abilities uh, show up more and more throughout the movie. So yeah, you, you, you definitely get the feeling that there's uh, more going on with his character than you're, than you're aware of. Like you, you obviously see it in additional scenes later, but that's the first inkling that we get because of how unusual that interaction is and how, uh, you know, there must be something supernatural to it. Mm-hmm. So that that whole scene uh, is pretty iconic for me as far as Conan goes. Um, from there, uh, we go to the, the Wheel of Pain that you mentioned earlier, where it's basically just a grain mill, uh, mm-hmm. but it's, you know, being pushed by a dozen little kids for... 20 years or whatever, however long they're pushing it, 15 years. Basically from when Conan is a little kid until he's Conan, like fully built Conan, and he's just the only one left pushing the wheel by himself. Mm-hmm. Um, something interesting about that, the the set construction crew was exceptionally good for this movie. Like I'm sure you noticed everything looked really cool, but yeah. everything was also super functional. So when they built that Wheel of Pain... Uh, they built it too well, and it was super easy to push. Like one person, oh, could, no. one person <laughs> could just push it like one-handed the whole thing. So um, whenever you saw Conan pushing it, and to make it look like he was having trouble pushing it, they had to have several other people off camera pushing against it to make it look like he was having, you know, that it took effort to push the wheel. Because otherwise, you could just like spin it around. <laughs> like, that is funny. Yeah. Considering how big it was, that's that's real funny. <laughs> and then that kind of leads, I guess, into the next scene where he's uh, gladiator now. Yeah. So they, I, I guess they decided that since he was so big and huge after pushing this grain mill forever, that they would uh, gladiator him instead. So, yeah, he's a he's enslaved still because he was as a grain mill pusher, but. Uh, yeah, so now they just decided that, hey, we're going to throw you into gladiator blood matches, and you see a, a montage of him becoming a trained gladiator uh, over the next couple minutes. Pretty- I think that was a really smart way to set that up, just having the, the wheel of pain scene and then this gladiator scene. Like It makes it pretty believable later that he's so unstoppable. I, I feel like a, a lot of stories like that, you don't get that yeah you don't get much of a backstory yeah yeah i agree you just uh, in a lot of them it's the character is just dropped in and we're meant to just accept that they're an unstoppable super warrior like you know predator or commando we just we hear like oh you were part of the elite whatever squad like anyone like like we know what that (laughs) is but yeah so we actually see him go from kid to mountain of muscle to uh you know new untrained uh doesn't know what he's doing gladiator to unstoppable killing machine gladiator uh those scenes are really brutal i think i that's when i was kind of like wow okay that's where we're going with this it's pretty uh pretty intense yeah and that that montage also kind of sets up 
his mentality towards violence throughout the rest of the movie. Uh, sure. Basically, like, you know, life, death are the same to him. The only thing that matters is the howling of the crowd, you know. Right, right. And then, you know, I guess he he won too much. Uh, he was uh, an undefeated gladiator champion. I mean, obviously, because he was still alive and they were all death matches. So they decide to send him east to learn from the war masters in whatever vaguely eastern fantasy country they're sending him to. Okay, I'll admit I was a little confused at that part when they let him go. I was mm-hmm. like, what? Okay, that makes a little bit more sense. Maybe I need to like re-see it and yeah. catch that. Yeah, it's it's it is a little bit odd. Like they send him they send him east to go learn like the finer arts of warfare. Because he knows how to kill anyone with his bare hands, but he's not he doesn't have finesse, he doesn't have tactics or anything like that. And that's that's mm-hmm. kind of where he learns all of that stuff is when they send him east. Um that's also where you see that. Uh, real iconic and popular scene where they're like, what is best in life? And everyone names off stuff they think is cool. And he says, to crush your enemies, see them driven before you, and hear the lamentation of their women. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I don't I don't know why they decide to let him go. And in fact, they say that in the movie too. They're like, you know, we, like, we don't know why they let him go. Uh, maybe they, <laughs> he was like a caged animal who had been kept too long. But whatever, freedom, and that's where they you know move along. They're just like they're like we don't know why they let him go, but whatever they let him go. <laughs> whatever doesn't matter. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I think it kind of uh, I guess skipped over one thing I wanted to mention too. Uh, when, whenever they address that part where he could have you know as many women as he wants, I was like, oh, that's a scene that they would probably take out now. <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, I doubt that would have flown. Uh, these days, absolutely. Um, yeah. That that was also where he was learning how to like read and write and all that kind of stuff too. So <laughs> yeah, he, uh, yeah, yeah, he had a pretty wide ranging education as a battle slave, I would say. Yeah, yeah, he had it pretty good, I guess, comparatively. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, uh, he had to probably get through about a hundred poor saps in the pit before he got to that point. But that's true. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so after after all that business, uh, he has his freedom, but he doesn't have anything else. So he's just running from wolves. <laughs> <laughs> For some, yeah, yeah. And I watched uh, like a behind the scenes talking about what you just mentioned, where um, you know the director's like those dogs were out of control, and we did our best, but they bit the trainer, and uh, you know yeah. he was afraid of them. And I was like, wow, that's so. It's so irresponsible. Yeah, there was a lot of irresponsible, uh, a lot of irresponsible <laughs> stuff going on in that movie. So yeah. <laughs> they were basically just like, "Run!" and those dogs are coming for you. So run. <laughs> I, I was telling my husband that this, the structure of this movie, or like the little, because I, I feel like you know, there's one overall plot, but then there's a lot of just small scenes that take place. Like, and I feel that in the '80s, uh, there was a lot of sci-fi or fantasy movies that were kind of like that right it just sort of felt like almost like a collection of stories put into one movie because it was like oh this is you know what happened with his dad now he's training and now wolves now uh, you know i'm sort of leading in the next part but magical killer sex lady but you know what i mean like it felt like there was a lot of little 
stories going on. Yeah, you know, I agree. Um, and that that's kind of one of the things that I like about this movie um, mm -hmm. is that it seems like if you wanted to have a movie representation of what playing with a small D and D group is like. Conan the Barbarian is a good representation of that. It's almost like you had uh, a dungeon master and one player playing a few sessions, like some of those early scenes, and then mm -hmm. uh, you started to pick up other people along the way to join the game. So, uh, you know, after after he gets through the wolves and they pick up Subutai outside of that, you know, the weird sex witches place that you mentioned. Uh, <laughs> and then they they go and get into some trouble on their own, and then they run into Valeria and pick her up. And now you have a decent party, you know, and then they all go on adventures together. But, uh, you know, maybe they couldn't make it one week, so Conan kind of runs off and does his own thing for a little while, and then those other players are able to come back the next session and, you know, get the gang back together. That's That's really what that movie seems like to me uh, as a D and D player also. Um, oh, that's interesting insight since I don't really play D and D. Yeah. The, like the, the arrival of characters and like them leaving and coming back and all that kind of stuff. It, it, it just has that kind of a feel to it. If, if you look at it through that lens uh, when you're watching the movie, it, it becomes really obvious, I think. Yeah. And I thought, you know, a lot of times when they try to make a movie about a series of books or, comics or what have you i think that's really challenging to do to really capture it but i feel that by making it all those small little self-contained stories you do get a sense that conan's done a lot seen a lot you, you get to experience that with him in a way that i i feel like they don't really do that in movies so much today and i feel like they should because I, I i did like that approach about it yeah it it didn't um a hundred percent follow the like the standard narrative structure that you know most movies have, um, where they'll have one, like you mentioned, they'll have one storyline, and they kind of follow the, you know, uh, it going into uh, the struggles for the hero along that storyline, and then like the climax and all that kind of stuff. It, it this movie has that to a degree, but there's so much side stuff that's going on the first half of the movie that it doesn't mm -hmm. it doesn't really follow that very well like, like you said it has a lot of little side bits here and there which it 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 makes it have kind of a different flow than a lot of other movies do um yeah so yeah i agree i think that the way that they encapsulate those smaller stories it, it gives it a different rhythm definitely mm -hmm. just out of curiosity uh the momoa reboot does, is that kind of like more straightforward than this? Um, yeah, for the most part, it's it's pretty much just following like one thing that's happening. Uh, there's not really a lot of side stuff like Conan the Barbarian has. Yeah, that may be uh, to its detriment, you know, yeah. if, if people are sort of expecting that, that, that may be what is kind of missing. I mean, I like Momoa, so I, I thought you know, it, it could be good, but then it, it kind of just came and went. So I just kind of, I just, just curious. Yeah. Um, it, it definitely seemed like it was more straightforward and, you know, Conan the destroyer was also a lot more straightforward. It, it didn't have, oh. didn't have the kind of, um, piecemeal, uh, individual Conan adventures that this one had. Uh, it, it has the same kind of thing where they're building like a party initially, but, mm -hmm. um, you already know, what's happening and they're building the party like as part of the 
overall storyline. It's not just like some one-off stuffs where you know Conan's a gladiator and now Conan's uh, uh, you know learning samurai sword stuff and now Conan <laughs> discovering an ancient tomb and now there's a sex witch and and now we can get back to the actual story. So yeah, yeah. When that part with the witch happened too, I was like. You know, not having seen it before, I thought, oh, I guess this is going to be Valeria. And then very quickly was like, oh, I, I guess not. So, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay, never mind. Because I had read that, like, his first ever, like, Arnold's first ever, like, on screen, like, love scene was in this movie, which I was like, what a weird, random first movie for that to be. But then when I watched it, I was like, well, there's a lot of skin. Yeah. Um, yeah. But then I assumed that that's what they were talking about. But I guess that one doesn't count because it's so bizarre. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, well, so what's the next scene? I think you, you we talked about the, uh, I guess, the evil lady. I'm not sure uh, yeah. what she was. So, but and then there was who was next? Well, so right right before that, I, I think we kind of glossed over it. But when uh, when he so he's being chased by the dogs, and the way he got away from them was he fell into a cave and discovered an ancient oh, yeah. an ancient tomb, and the tomb was it was a, like a giant king, and when I say giant, like it was giant in a way that made Conan look like a small person. Um, and then all the iconography around it made it look like he was some sort of a king or nobleman from Atlantis, probably, that maybe had fled the destruction of Atlantis, and this was his tomb. And that's where he finds the sword, that iconic Conan the Barbarian sword. And he he takes it from the hand of the dead king that's sitting in this throne, uh, knocks all the rust off of it somehow, uh, and it's still sharp and usable, even though it was ancient. And uh, in the next, the very next scene after he gets that sword, you see him wearing a wolf skin coat. <laughs> so, <laughs> He's like, well, now that I have this, uh, yeah. the wolf is no problem. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I- I'm glad you're explaining that scene because I-, I did have a lot of questions about it. And I-, I know you mentioned earlier, it- it's kind of left open-ended a little bit on purpose, but and it's just kind of like a nice backdrop and detail but I, I was kind of wondering um i hadn't thought of the atlantis thing so that's really cool is, is that in the in his uh in the history of the real character or not um not not that i'm aware of uh he okay. he uses different weapons all the time in the oh, comics okay. and stuff like that so and i i may be wrong about this so maybe i'll get yelled at for saying that but as far as i know <laughs> it's not um like super canon that he had this super amazing ancient Atlantean sword, but that was something that they wanted for the movie. And Mm -hmm. um, like I said, the, the, the art in that tomb kind of hints at it, but specifically the name of the track on the soundtrack for uh, that scene is Atlantean sword as well. So. Oh, okay. Okay. That's good insight. Mm -hmm. Cool. Okay. So yeah, after he escapes, he runs into the, the sex witch who, We've mentioned several times now. <laughs> it was such a weird scene, I'm though. So yeah, it's a really no, weird no, scene. Yeah, it just stayed in my mind. I was like, "What's happening?" Yeah. And <laughs> I mean, I guess it's kind of like in movies like that where there's a siren or something, you know? Yeah, you know, it yeah. it was it's that kind of that kind of idea, but um, it I I feel like it could have 
come or gone in the movie, honestly. Like it, <laughs> you, you could almost cut it out of the movie because I thought that it was going to play a part somehow, but it kind of didn't. Yeah, <laughs> I don't. I don't know if it's just like a an interesting way of introducing Conan to the fact that there's weird supernatural stuff in this world that he's exploring that he may not have. Uh, maybe so. Yeah, that he may not have experienced yet. Like maybe don't. Maybe don't trust every pretty face that you run into or anything that seems <laughs> like it's a good offer because, you know, it might not end up being so. But anyway, he <laughs> he gets away from her uh, after he throws her in a fire and she turns into a flaming spirit that sails off into the woods. That blew my mind, too. Yeah. I think that's why I can't let it go. I'm like, what? Yeah, there's, yeah. that would be a really weird scene to watch on drugs for sure. You'd be like, what is happening? Um but yeah, after that is where he meets Subatai, who I assume had been uh, a prisoner of hers. I think in the I think in the actual movie she was referred to as like the Wolf Witch, um, oh. which it makes me wonder if there was a connection between like the wolves that he killed and her and like Subatai, who was left out as dinner for the wolves. I don't know. Right. Okay. Okay. That's, that's connecting some dots for me. I think just that scene felt so out of the blue to me that I was, I kind of spent the rest of the movie going, huh? Like, (laughs) what did that mean? So like, I'm glad we're talking through this. It's helping me understand it. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so then he runs into Subatai and he's like, he's like, Hey, what's your deal? And he's like, Oh, you know, just dinner for wolves. And he goes, uh, you know, can you you give me some food? So I can have some strength and the wolves come. He's like, eh, I don't know. He's like, uh. but they laugh it out and sets him free, and they become friends. Uh, yeah, and yeah. he's actually a skilled thief and archer, which is real handy in a D and D party or or a Conan <laughs> the Barbarian party for sure. <laughs> You're like, oh, I'm starting to see the logic behind these parties. Man. Yeah, exactly. Real world application here. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they get into one of the best religious debates that I've ever seen in a fantasy movie. Uh, in the next scene, they're eating some oh, yeah. chicken or whatever. And Subutai is talking about how he worships the four winds. Um, and Conan's making fun of his four winds. He's like, ha, Krom laughs at your four winds. And Subutai is like... Your god lives underneath the four winds because they're the everlasting sky. And then Conan looks over at him like he's processing this information like, you son of a bitch. (laughs) It's, uh, I don't know. For some reason, it it sticks out as one of my favorite scenes in the movie just because they're, they're talking about like the, something that's very serious to them in this fantasy setting, but still very flippant with each other about the, superiority of their gods so i thought that was interesting too but you get uh conan's thing with Krom at the same time uh you know he says that he has to learn the riddle of steel and if he doesn't when he dies Krom will cast him out of valhalla and laugh at him uh, he also says that he'd seldom praise to him because he doesn't listen <laughs> so yeah. and you really don't see him praying to him very much except for in that one scene at the end but we'll get we'll get to that okay um but yeah so now they're buddies and you see them running around from weird ancient city to weird ancient city uh sometimes getting turned off by like a giant pack of pigs being directed through because it's smelly uh or you know trying to find drugs and then buying drugs and then wandering around the city stoned and punching camels and (laughs) this Yeah, just a couple of, you know, 
couple of guys getting into terrible trouble because there's no repercussions back then or, you know, even today, I guess, at some points uh, <laughs> for dude bros uh, causing trouble. Um, and eventually they find that snake tower that they hear is full of treasure and whatnot. So they're mm-hmm. like, yeah, let's go rob it. And uh, they're right about to rob it. And that's when they run into Valeria, who, uh, you know, we've talked about her a little bit, but she is definitely the, she's like the straight man, like the experienced adventurer amongst them. Uh, like right. right off the bat, it seems like she runs into them and they're like, they're like, uh, hey. And she's like, what are you, what are you guys doing here? And they're like, we're going to go rob the tower. And she's like, you guys didn't even bring any rope. What are you going to do? You guys are idiots. Uh, but she decides to team up with them, and she's obviously better uh, at, at pretty much all of the uh, adventuring and sneaking and thieving and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, I really liked her character yeah, a lot. Yeah, she's really great. Uh, and they they drop into this snake tower, and it's full of this weird snake cult. Uh, and- <laughs> Yeah, that was interesting. Again, uh, another side quest kind of thing. Yeah, but this this was the first of the side quests that actually linked right back. It linked in and started them off on the it, main, it does. Yeah, that's the main true. quest. So, and you don't. It, it was one of those things where if Conan hadn't like turned around and picked up like that one object, that quest wouldn't have been given for the rest of the movie. But because right. uh, they're they're going down to where the giant snake is, while Valeria's uh, disguised as one of the cultists to kind of keep an eye on them and keep them occupied and whatever. So they're down there trying to loot whatever gold and jewels and stuff they can. And that's where Conan sees that medallion that has the same icon of it, uh, of the, the dark moon and dark sun with the snakes facing each other that he saw when Thulsa Doom attacked and destroyed his village. And he mm-hmm. immediately starts having flashbacks of it. Um, and of course, then that giant snake attacks and kills them, which uh, I, I've heard that that was really interesting for them to construct and shoot. Uh, you know, they didn't have CG back then, and they didn't want to do it green screen, so they just made like this giant mechanical snake. It looked pretty good, I yeah, thought. Absolutely. Um, especially since they had to like destroy it and decapitate it in that scene. Which looked awesome. Like when he, when he chopped his head off finally, I was like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I just like, I liked, like when they were fighting him, I think that if they had done, you know, green screen or if they had done, uh, I don't know what they would have done, stop motion or something, it, it just, it never really looks like it's just hard to nail, I guess, how brutal that would be to destroy a giant snake and, you know, chop its head off. But I thought because it is like truly big and they're right there, like it just looks really good. Yeah. Um, you know, movies that were around that kind of same period, uh, like um, Clash of the Titans and stuff like that, where they did use claymation for the different monsters, it, it definitely mm-hmm. doesn't look as good as what they pulled off with that giant snake. They did a real good job with that. Right. And I guess that would have been harder maybe in that movie because there's so many big things. Yeah. But, but yeah. Yeah. And and again the set design for that snake tower both the outside and the inside were were excellently done. Um mm-hmm. pretty much all of the giant sets that they did just looked incredible compared to a lot of the other fantasy movies that you see now which are all pretty much done in uh you know CG later like you'll they'll 
stand in front of uh, you know green backdrops and then they drop in all the background stuff after um, and right. got, you know they didn't have that for this so they had to build up everything and the, everything looks so good despite you know the budget and tech constraints that they had so um, yeah I agree but then they get out uh, you know again thanks to Valeria uh, taking out the guards and sending them plummeting back down as they ride the you know uh, the rope up, a very swashbuckler fashion, like like, haha, we're getting away on the this rope. <laughs> yeah. uh, so they get away and they're partying in some uh, dive bar for days. It seems like just buying all kinds of clothing and armor and weapons and helmets and just like whatever whatever people are bringing. They're like, yeah, give me that. Yeah, give me that chicken. Give me that helmet. And uh, eventually they're just party too hard and Conan passes out in his gruel that's in front of him. <laughs> and you see it. Yeah, that, that scene was yeah. funny. Like, that was, it looked really, really yeah. gross. <laughs> like, I don't, <laughs> I don't know what was in that bowl, but it was gray and soupy. Um, and you could definitely see him just, like, bubbling in it after he fell down in it. And the guards show up. and Yeah, I was like, I'm confused. Yeah. <laughs> Can he breathe? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so the guards show up and arrest them. And Valeria's like trying to wake him up, and she just pushes him out of his chair and, and onto the floor in his gruel. Uh, that was another good moment. I kind of didn't see, you know, like she was pushing him, and then he fell down, and I kind of didn't see that part coming. I thought that was really yeah. funny. That landed really. Like well. you think you're gonna, you think you're gonna get another cool fight scene? Nope, they're too fucked up. <laughs> they're gonna get arrested. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they're all brought before uh, King Osric the usurper who was played very well by Max von Sydow. Uh, you've seen him in some other things like Dune and uh, mm, okay. he was, he did some, some voices real recently in uh, Skyrim and stuff like that, but he's, he was real well known in the eighties. Oh, he was in um, force awakens. Also, he was the, oh, he really? was the guy at the very beginning that they get the map to Luke Skywalker from. Oh, okay, okay, okay. And then cool. Kylo Ren wastes him. Uh, yeah, that was Max von Sydow, a younger one, but he still looked oh, wow. still looked old in this movie because he's one of those guys who's mm-hmm. always been old, doesn't doesn't seem to age <laughs> after a certain point. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that's really where they get the quest to go after Thulsa Doom is from him because Thulsa Doom has also uh, basically snake charmed his daughter the princess and she follows him around as a servant. Uh, and, uh, yeah. So he, he tasks them with that quest, but you know, they're already rich and they don't want to deal with Thulsa doom. So he offers them basically enough, enough wealth to become Kings themselves if they want to. Mm -hmm. And, uh, Conan and Valeria are talking it over in their tent like, you know, screw this. Like, we don't want to deal with Thulsa Doom. He's a he's a sorcerer who can summon demons and all that business. Like, we're already rich. Let's bail and we can do whatever we want. And she's talking all this reason to him, you know. Uh, like, mm-hmm. hey, here here's all the best ideas you've ever heard, Conan. Meanwhile, he's not listening and just, like, focused on that medallion that he stole with the Thulsa Doom icon on it. Yeah. So... Yeah, he's not he's not good at uh, listening is what we learn. I know. I felt sorry for her because she's like, 
you know, she's like, oh, I've never been loved. And now I have you. And we have everything. We da, da, da. And he just like pieces yep. out. He just fails. He <laughs> He's just like, yeah, bye. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> he's like, oh, well, you've talked so much. It made it awkward yeah. <laughs> now for me to bow out quietly. So I'm just going to yeah. go. <laughs> and he, he leaves her that the eye of set, like that, that jewel, which was like the primary thing that they stole from the snake cult, the thing that was super valuable that they stole. So he, right. he leaves that for her. But uh, yeah, he definitely just like pieces out as as you said he just yeah uh and we we're pretty much just with conan for the next however long in that movie going on his own little adventures trying to figure out where thulsa doom is uh until he runs into a bunch of hippies that tell him like oh he's over in his mountain of power and you should throw down your weapon and return to the earth and he's like uh, okay <laughs> <laughs> whatever you say guys sure yeah. Uh, but then that's where we meet Mako also is right after that because he finds those old uh, right. the old ruins like the standing stones, uh, the site of some ancient battle. Uh, and we find out Mako is a wizard and he basically just likes to hang out uh, and watch the old battleground for the gods and they, uh, you know, they just like to keep him around, basically. So that's his whole job, I guess, is just to like, <laughs> m- like make sure people don't mess with the old battle site. I guess. I don't. Yeah, I mean, it seems like a good gig if you can get it, but I don't. Yeah. Right. So uh, yeah, he he makes friends with him, and they they drink and swap some stories, and he tells them some more about Thulsa Doom. So Conan decides it would be a great idea to leave his horse and his sword and all of his armor and stuff and uh, pretend to be one of those uh, hippie people uh, and infiltrate as a peacenik, basically, or a potential cult member, Mm -hmm. even though he looks like Conan the Barbarian. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i know i thought that too i was like don't they recognize this guy and yeah like can't 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 you see that he is not committed to uh probably a peaceful lifestyle uh right here right um but yeah so he he decides to do that uh there's there's a really interesting scene uh where he's trying to get some priest robes so he can infiltrate better, yeah. and uh, he mm-hmm. he targets one of the priests that looks uh, extra creepy, and he's like, "Oh, I'm you know I I can't get into emptiness, and I'm I'm shy to show my body and stuff." And the priest's like, "Oh, like your like your body's great, you know? Why are you shy about it?" And he's like, "Can we can we go over there where the others do not see?" And the priest is like. Yeah, sure. And he has like this creepy, creepy <laughs> smile on his face. Like, you know, he's about to do some creepy priest stuff. Uh, and yeah, so then Conan kills him and takes all of his clothes. Um, uh, seems yeah. justified. And uh, yeah, so he's pretending to be one of the cult members. Uh, and that's when we get to another one of the really great set pieces in that movie. The, the Mountain of Power with that huge staircase leading up to the tower. Um, that mm-hmm. 
it's so large and so cool looking. It always uh, stands out to me in that movie as like one of the best action fantasy movie sets. Uh, but yeah, basically he gets called out uh, immediately <laughs> for for not belonging there, uh, and is and is swarmed and imprisoned. But he does get a one-on-one meeting immediately with uh, Thulsa Doom. So, yeah, so uh, he's got his audience with Thulsa Doom and his two lieutenants, uh, Thorgrim and uh, Rexor. And, oh, I, I should note that there's a couple interesting things about those characters, too. So Rexor, um, they had to find, like, two guys that were big enough to go toe to toe with Conan basically in this movie, which again, back then, not an easy thing to do. So, uh, Rexor was played by Ben Davidson, who was a professional football player. He played for the Packers and the Redskins and the Raiders, um, for about 10 years. I think he played NFL. So he was a real big guy. So, uh, he was, he was like the cult leader guy in the, um, snake tower. And then also, uh, he was one of the people who raided the village, and then he was one of his two lieutenants when he's being interrogated there. The other guy, a little even more interesting, is named Sven Olthorsen. And you'll recognize him in basically every other movie Arnold Schwarzenegger's ever made. Because <laughs> uh, they, I guess they were they became friends when they were bodybuilding or something. And so he has either like a bit or like some sort of maybe even medium-sized role in... Uh, a, a huge number of Arnold Schwarzenegger movies uh, oh. dating back to the 80s. So um, he was in this. He was in Conan the Destroyer. He was in Red Sonja. He was in Raw Deal. He was in Predator. He was in Running Man. Oh, my gosh. He, was in he really Red was Heat. in everything. Yeah, Red Heat, Twins, Terminator 2. Um, and it, it's on and on. Like, pretty much any Arnold movie from the 80s, like or even the 90s, you saw him in. Also, he was in the movie Mallrats as the security guard, LaFors, that was it was like the foil to Jay and Silent Bob. Uh so yeah, I mean he's he's been in some stuff, but again, like he he's the the shadow of Arnold in all of his movies. Gotcha. And it, this was the first one where they were together that I'm aware of. Oh, that's cool. That's really cool. Yeah. So this this scene you see uh well, you see Conan at his weakest because he's defeated and like bloody and helpless, basically. And uh, you also see Thulsa Doom in a different light than you saw him in when he was raiding the village. Like you saw him as like some sort of a warlord, raider, bandit kind of person. Mm-hmm. And and now he's very obviously a cult leader um, in the vein that we see pretty much all cult leaders, like a cult of personality. uh people doing whatever he says, no matter how dangerous it is. Like he has all these uh, women up on this, the cliffs above this area where they're talking mm-hmm. and he just, he just like motions for one of them to come to him and she just like jumps down to her death. Yeah. Just to kind of demonstrate the power that he has over his followers to Conan. Uh, it's also where he gives Conan a potential answer to the riddle of steel. He tells him, Steel isn't strong. Flesh is stronger. Like, what's the sword compared to the hand that wields it? And he demonstrates that power that he has over people. Right. And he also he also points out to him, he says, look at the, the strength of your body, the desire in your heart. I gave you those things. 
and you're wasting them trying to come after me. Mm. Uh, so to give him time to contemplate it, he crucifies him to a giant tree. <laughs> yeah, that part is like intense. Yeah. Uh, so in that scene, he's all by himself out in some giant field. Uh, and he's just literally crucified like Jesus style to a tree uh, through the wrists and the feet and everything hanging there for days. Eventually some vultures show up and start pecking at him. Um, the vulture that he bit into in that scene was a real vulture. No. Gross. Yes. That's yes. Ugh. Uh, they had, they used a real vulture. I think it was a real dead vulture, but it was still a real vulture. And because of the possibility of like bacteria or mites or whatever, every time they shot that scene, they had to have him like rinse his mouth out with uh, antiseptic and all that kind of stuff. Oh so my yeah, gosh. A- actual bit bit out an actual vulture's throat for that scene. That is disgusting. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> again, uh, uh, just a pattern of irresponsibility <laughs> in right. the background of shooting oh, this movie. Oh man, especially a vulture, right? Yeah. I mean, they eat like dead things. It's terrifying. Yeah. I feel like they, when they got Arnold to be in this role, like he was fresh off of uh, Hercules in New York, which mm-hmm. was not, it, it was not anything. And they dubbed over his whole, all of his voice work with some other actor in that movie. So right. I feel like they thought like, we have this guy who's kind of a nascent star, but we also feel like he'll just do whatever we tell him to without any regard for his safety. So mm-hmm. let's just make that work for us. It's just pretty uncool. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he probably put into his contract later, like, no vulture biting. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, no no live or dead fowl uh, biting. (laughs) Absolutely. Oh, that is is gross. Yeah. But he thinks he's, uh, you know, he's he's basically dying up on this tree by himself. And he, he thinks he's starting to hallucinate. He sees Subutai running over this dune towards him. And he starts to laugh and uh, cough up more feathers and then, like, kind of keel over. But it's not a hallucination. It really is Subutai. Subutai found him. And they, you see him back uh, unconscious with Subutai and Valeria and um, Mako, the wizard. And uh, they're, they're basically trying to figure out some way to get him back. Because he's, if he's not dead, like, he's mostly dead in a princess bride kind of way (laughs) so the wizard tells them that the the spirits are going to take him tonight and they're like well is there anything we can do to stop them and he says well yeah but you know there's always a price to pay for that kind of stuff and valeria's right there ready to pay whatever the price is so they paint him up with runes and symbols and stuff head to toe uh that he that has a real interesting look in that scene, like when he's all painted I agree. up. Yeah. Um, I don't I don't think I've seen anything like that where it was obviously kind of trying to invoke some sort of like ancient uh powers using some forgotten language or whatever. Uh but anyway, uh then we have uh one of the the scenes that was a little less technically cool. Uh like <laughs> like the the snake was uh, an achievement in like making something look cool on the budget. And then this one, it looked like they kind of um, just painted or smudged spirits 
uh, <laughs> into the scene. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and you can definitely tell that uh, when Valeria is like trying to fight the spirits off of him, she's fighting with nobody. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Which, which was not a is not an established field yet. I mean, obviously now that that's how it's always done. Like you fight with nobody, or you're acting in concert with someone who's not there because of CG and green screen. Um, but yeah, so you can tell that she's not actually fighting with anyone. And they just kind of like paint over these people in that scene. Right. But long story short, uh, they're able to keep them from taking him and he takes some time to regain his strength. Um, you know, repracticing with his sword and whatnot. And uh, they're, you know, they're kind of like, all right, so now that we've got you back, let's let's go. And he's like, nope, still got to go deal with Thulsa Doom. And they're like, God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> this shit again. Uh, so they work out a plan uh, to attack Thulsa Doom's mountain of power from behind. Like they want to go through like these cracks in the mountain to, you know, go in the, the back way that most people don't know about. Mm hmm. And they paint themselves up in camouflage and actually try to be all stealthy like they weren't at all so far in this movie. Right, right, right. Yeah, I, I like that part where they're where they have all the camouflage. It mm -hmm. looks neat. Yeah. Even though I don't know if they were really blending in, but <laughs> like the black with all the it seemed like a lot of things were white, but I don't know. Yeah, like cool. they were they were like black, <laughs> black and white painted up and uh but everything in there was red, so I don't know. It seemed like it just kind of broke up their profile. I don't know. I'm not a, I'm not a camouflage expert. I don't know. Me neither. Me neither. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that when they're infiltrating, you see the, the if you if you're looking close, you see like the dark secret of the set cult is that they're cannibals, because you when you see them like preparing right. the food as they're walking through, you see them like pulling, um, gutted out human bodies like off of the wall to be butchered. Yeah. And then, you know, if you don't see that later on, obviously, you see the soup that they're making where there's like hands and heads and stuff floating in it, which is real weird. That, that green soup, soup. Yeah, that green, like, okay, it was soup. But we we're trying to figure that out. We we're like, is that wax or, you know, I, I couldn't figure it out. Okay, soup. Yeah, it's it's some kind of weird soup. Um, and they're just like dumping it into the big bowls and people are eating it and eating hands and then there's a huge orgy going on like a 50 person orgy that Thulsa Doom is just sitting in his chair supervising <laughs> gross <laughs> yeah so they they sneak up and see this orgy going on uh and they see Thulsa Doom and the princess by his side and they're they're trying to decide how they're gonna do all this and they need to create like a distraction so they can get the princess and during that whole orgy scene, like before they attack, you see Thulsa Doom slowly turning into a snake. Like he, his face yeah. morphs from like a human face to like a snake face. And then eventually he just goes like his arms are tracked and he's like a full snake and he slithers off into the wall when they attack. Which that was an interesting scene. Um, yeah, I thought it looked interesting. They definitely use like cuts instead of like a morphing sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Um I'm I'm sure that that was again a technical limitation at the time, but um, yeah. So it it's definitely obvious at that point that he has some sort of supernatural abilities that were only hinted at previously in the movie. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, they give they go ahead and basically massacre everyone at the orgy, and then uh, his lieutenants Thorgrim and Rexor show up, and uh, there's a big there's a big fight for a little bit until uh, Thorgrim with his giant hammer, that ridiculous giant hammer that he has, <laughs> yeah, uh, smashes that pillar and it falls over, and then there's a big you know dust cloud, so they're able to escape. Uh, in the confusion, but as oh, uh, also that that part where they're like running through the tunnels, escaping. That's where, as far as I understand it, that's where Valeria got her finger chopped off in that scene. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, it was one of the the extras messed up, and um, but yeah, so they they make their way out. They're escaping, but uh, before they get away, Thulsa Doom turns a snake into an arrow. Again, using some kind of weird magic, and shoots Valeria with the snake arrow. So they they get away, but they pull the arrow out and it turns right back into a snake. And we can assume it was probably poisoned. Uh, and she very sadly dies in Conan's arms of the wound that Thulsa Doom gave her. Mm-hmm. And she says too, she's she says that. Um you know, there was a, a price to pay for the sac or for bringing him back to life. And that this was probably that. And, mm-hmm. um, I also felt, I, I thought the snake arrow thing was really interesting looking. I don't think I've seen that before. <laughs> like it's just an interesting idea. And then, uh, when it shot at her and he pulled it out, I thought the scene of pulling it out looked really like intense, you know, yeah. like, like he pulls it out and it's like super long and you're like, Oh man, that's, this is a, a serious mortal wound there, but I thought that looked good. Yeah, especially because it like turns back into a snake after he pulls it all yeah. the way out. Like that, that, uh, yeah, it was really interesting. Um, and uh, something that Valeria said before, I, I don't think we mentioned it, but when they were in the tent together and they were getting all you know romantic, and uh, she looks at Conan and says, you know, if if I die and you were still fighting, like I would come back from the pits of hell to fight at your side. And now here she is actually dying in the movie. Oh, okay. Okay. And you mentioned she's like in the second one somehow. So does she like come back to life later? So the, the second one, um, the whole premise is that, uh, Oh, and, uh, along, along with this, I'll mention something that's a little bit messed up, but, uh, the whole premise, (laughs) the whole premise is that, um, there's this evil witch that wants Conan to go on this quest and get a thing for her, basically. And Conan's like, why would I do that? And she's like, because I'll bring back Valeria, your lost love. And she shows him like this illusion of, you know, Valeria on the the altar, like dead or whatever. Oh, okay. And so that that's the whole reason behind the adventure is that he's going to do this so he'll get Valeria back. Um, the messed up thing I was going to mention is that Valeria, I don't, I don't think that her name is actually mentioned in the movie Conan the Barbarian at all. I think the first time her name is mentioned is in <laughs> Conan the Destroyer when she's being referenced after she's dead. <laughs> I did get, I did think she got a little bit of a raw deal as a heroine because in that in this beginning scene where, or not the beginning scene, but her, I guess, beginning scene, you know, she they pass her off as like, oh, she's awesome, and she's kind of, you know, his equal in terms of you know, maybe even a little better at being an adventurer. But then like the second they start getting romantic, she's like, you know what? I'm done. I'm ready to like get married. You know what I mean? I was like, yeah. that 
that's kind of lame. And then, uh, then he's like, bye. And she's like, okay, I'll just like wait here. (laughs) And then when he's dying, she's like, I'm here again and I'll do anything to reboot. Even if I die, I'm like, he hasn't really shown you that level of commitment. I mean, you kind of just met him. Yeah. I feel like, and it's just, I mean, that's, that's a lot of sacrifice for a guy that ran away in the middle of the night, but you know, whatever to each their own, I guess. Yeah, I, I agree a hundred percent. He was definitely getting more out of that relationship. Yeah. Um, and then she like died immediately after she brought him back almost like, yeah. Yeah. The, like almost the next scene. Yeah. And I was like, man, you knew that there was some kind of price to pay uh, that Mako guy did. So like, I don't know, maybe keep her out of the loop for a little bit. I mean, I feel like now that they brought him back, Conan can handle himself for a little bit, but eh, you know, you got to have a reason to, for Conan to be super angry at the end of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) and to have that super dramatic, uh, funeral scene, which was, that was pretty cool. Uh, it was cool. They're, you know, they're in the, the standing stones thing and there's that big altar. Um, they build that giant funeral pyre for her, and the wizards are the wizards like uh, fire doesn't burn out there, guys. I don't know what you're trying to do here. Like that's not going to work. Uh, but he <laughs> takes the fire up, and of course it burns like crazy. Uh, I guess showing the favor of the gods towards them at that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, uh, you don't see you don't see Conan emoting sadness, just like anger. Uh, you only see like <laughs> you only see Subutai like crying and whatever. Uh, and the wizard comments on it. He's like, why are you crying? He's like, because he, he's Conan. He won't cry. So I cry for him. Which, <laughs> he's like, because I don't have a relationship. This is the closest I have watching theirs. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, the, I'm the third wheel, so I've got <laughs> to do something in this, this whole thing. Uh, so then after that whole business, uh, the princess who they had, you know, uh, escaped with uh, unwillingly, like she didn't want to leave. Uh, is telling them that right. you know Thulsa Doom's gonna be gonna be coming for them. Like you know, you pissed him off. He's gonna he's gonna come kill you. And so they start preparing for the inevitable confrontation. Uh, they scavenge uh, weapons and armor and stuff from all the dead bodies on the old battlefield, which uh, the wizard says is okay. And uh, they set up all these crazy defenses and spikes and trap machines uh the one with the giant single spike that swings around uh i don't know if you remember that yeah yeah uh that i thought that was that was pretty nifty uh <laughs> but also super brutal <laughs> whenever it actually yeah, goes off yeah. but yeah we, we we have one of the cooler fight scenes in fantasy there with thulsa doom and all of his writers uh, that that's where that shot that I mentioned, where like the both the the far off and up close were both super in focus. You can see them riding the yeah. bridge, and they show up and are riding through the stones, and Subutai and uh, Conan are taking them out, just kind of one by one, like hiding in the stones, popping out, taking them out. Um, Thorgrim, the guy who's uh, you know Arnold Schwarzenegger's buddy in all the movies, gets the raw end of that giant spike trap as it impaled him. <laughs> and then you have a great uh, battle between Conan and Rexor, who is wielding Conan's father's sword from the beginning of the right. movie. And uh, the fight's actually not going so well for Conan at first. Like, you know, uh, Rexor is, I think, 6'8". Like, he's a 
he's huge and just rushing at Conan and driving him back and has Conan on the ground. And then all of a sudden out of nowhere, uh, Rex, uh, Rexor gets attacked from the side and Conan looks up and sees a glittering radiant Valkyrie version of Valeria, uh, above him. Just like asking him if he wants to live forever. And then she's gone, like mm-hmm. vanishes. Uh, so Conan's able to get up and finish the battle. He, you know, does what he has to do with Rexor, but also breaks his father's sword in the process. Yeah, I thought that was kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. I didn't expect that to happen, I guess. Yeah. Like, I thought he would end up with that sword at the end of the movie. Yeah. Um, which, I, yeah, there's there's a lot about the movie that um, either you don't, you don't either expect it to happen, like the, the weird witch and... I mean, a lot of the stuff in the movie. That we've talked <laughs> my about. favorite part of the movie, the <laughs> <Yeah>. witch. <laughs> when I go back and edit this, I'm going to be like, Lisa, let it go. Stop mentioning the witch. <laughs> it really stuck out to me. I mean, yeah. I don't know what to say. It's it very unusual. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, a lot of the movie doesn't go the way that you think it's going to. Like when you get to. Which is refreshing. Yeah. yeah like Thulsa Doom is not what you expect when you finally get to him, uh, you know, in the movie. And. You know, mm-hmm. when he finally gets uh, access to his father's sword again, he breaks it rather than lose the battle. Um, oh, something I didn't mention in that that whole fight scene, like right before it, you see Conan for the one and only time in the movie pray to his god Krom, and mm. he doesn't he doesn't pray to him for victory. He only asks for revenge. Like he he's basically mm. like I don't care if I get wiped out like just let me get revenge. Uh, so maybe that maybe that's why Valeria gets to show back up because you know Krom is pleased by Conan. So after he after he kills Rexor and gets his broken father's sword back, you see him. Uh, he does the same salute that with the weapons at the end that he used to do in the gladiator pit. Mm. Like he would always do the same, like crosses his arms with, with his weapons uh, to the crowd as they're cheering. And here there wasn't, there was nobody watching uh. other than maybe Valeria and Krom and like his parents or whoever. So he's just doing that same salute, but just kind of off in the distance to nobody. Um, now when we get to the end here, Oh, it should, it should be mentioned that uh, at this point, Thulsa Doom is, riding away in defeat. Uh, but he, instead of rescuing the princess, uh, you know, back from the rescuers, he decides to try to shoot her with one of the same snake arrows. Basically, you know, if I can't, yeah. if I can't have you, like you're not going to, you know, get away or whatever. Uh, but they block it with a shield and he rides off. And this, this is when the princess's faith in him is broken. You know, you can tell that, yeah, her Finally. his spell over her is broken, and now she wants revenge. Like she's pissed. <clears throat> um, at this point, there's actually two different endings to this movie. I don't know if you know that. Oh well, I will say, and you know, this isn't like a major plot point, but I kind of wondered whenever they were sort of alluding to Valeria dying, I thought, well, maybe he's going to like end up with that princess at the end. And that's what, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I thought somehow that tied in and, and th- you know, that would give, I guess their quest like a bigger meaning or something, but yeah. So I guess I kind of vaguely felt like there could be more than one way. this. Could so go. there was a theatrical ending where 
um, you basically just see uh, Thulsa Doom talking to his followers, basically just saying like, all right, it's the time for the Day of Doom has come. I'm going to set you off to go wipe out your parents and all of your leaders, and we're going to take over. Um, and you see Conan like sneaking up behind him with his broken, his father's broken sword. Um, and they have a confrontation and you see Thulsa Doom try to snake charm him again, like talk him into not killing him. But of course, Conan doesn't fall prey to the snake charm and uses his father's broken sword to chop off Thulsa Doom's head very, very brutally. Like not, not all at once. Like yeah. he whacks at it several times. Uh, and then, you know, kicks the body off of the huge platform that he's on and throws it off into the crowd of his followers who then disperse. Uh, now, in the other version of the ending of this movie, it, it's a similar scene, but Conan doesn't make it into Thulsa Doom's mountain of power again by himself. He is led in by the princess who they rescued. So she's mm-hmm. like leading the way and kind of like distracting the guards who he's killing, you know, uh, behind her. And, uh, then it kind of goes down the same way. You know, he has the conversation with Thulsa Doom, throws the head into the followers who then, you know, the charm over them all being broken, the spell broken, they disperse to wherever they're from. Um, in the theatrical version at that point, Conan, uh, burns down the mountain of power. But in the oh, okay. director's cut version, there's it's him and the princess who are at the mountain of power. And she um it 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 sort of seems to indicate that she's looking for something new to worship. Uh and she's kind of like bowing down to Conan at this point and he's like, "No, we're not going to do that." And he like helps her up and then then he burns down the mountain of power and carries her off into the distance. So in the, in the director's cut, it, it does seem like he actually ends up with the princess. Cause he's like carrying her as he walks off into the sunset, the theatrical version, mm-hmm. the princess is not involved after the scene in the standing stones anymore. Okay. I think that I saw the mm-hmm. theatrical one then because I had that thought. I was like, so her like, huh? you know, uh, I was like, I felt like she was going to play a bigger part. So that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So they're, they were a little bit different, the, the theatrical version and the director's cut in, and th- there was a handful of other scenes that I think were a little bit different, but that's the main one that stands out. The only other one I can think of is there's a scene in the, the director's cut that is not, it's not in the theatrical one at all. Um, it's a scene where, Subutai and Conan are having just like a nice conversation um, while they're kind of setting up the spikes and stuff, waiting for that next battle. Um, mm-hmm. it, it basically just talks about how, uh, you know, it's not, it's not too late. You know, we could, we don't have to live this kind of life. We could go off and live a life of comfort and, you know, like live like normal people. Um, but they're like, no, nah, there's, you know, for us, there is no spring. There's just uh, the air that smells sweet before the storm. Like, you know, they can't live a they can't live a life of comfort. Mm-hmm. They're not those kind of people. They can just you know enjoy enjoy themselves a little bit here and there before like whatever next adventure they have to go on. So, it's a scene that yeah, I like. Okay, uh, and it's one of the yeah. only scenes where uh, Conan actually has a lot of dialogue. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, I can. I guess I can see why they may have cut it out for time reasons, but um, 
I enjoy it. I, I think it yeah. it adds a lot to the director's cut, it being there. Yeah, yeah. I don't recall that scene. So I, I yeah, I think mm-hmm. I saw the theatrical one then. Yeah. Um I think that's that's the one that's most readily available. Uh I'm I'm not sure if the director's cut is on Blu-ray or anything like that, honestly, but Yeah. I rented it on iTunes. I'll have to go back and look now, but I'm always interested when it's a movie I haven't seen before and then I discuss it with someone and they ask me that question, did you watch the director's cut or you know, the theatrical release and, you know, it's always interesting to hear both cuts and what's mm-hmm. different about them. So, so yeah, I'll have to go back yeah, and look at that. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure that the, uh, the director's cut is not on Blu-ray in its entirety. I think it has like deleted scenes on it, mm-hmm. but I'm pretty sure it doesn't have, it doesn't have the director's cut. I could be wrong about that. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, there's also a really good documentary that they kind of made about the making of the movie, which I don't know if you got to see any of that um, at all, but it's called Conan Unchained, the making of Conan. Uh, that that was on the DVD that I got years ago for it, and I've, I've watched that a couple of times. It's real interesting. It talks about a lot of what we talked about, but, you know. That's cool. Yeah, I, I watched a little bit of behind the scenes, but just like on YouTube, because unfortunately mm-hmm. when you rent something, you don't get access to those features, and that's – the only like the probably the biggest drawback for me when I watch something that I've just rented is I don't get access to all those features. So usually I have to kind of get online and look for what's free out there. Um, and I still usually find some pretty interesting stuff, especially mm-hmm. when the movie's older like this. There's usually a lot more out there that you can watch. But uh, yeah, I watched some behind the scenes stuff uh, before we start recording, hearing about like the original creator and just the process of making the movie and stuff like that, which was pretty good. But I don't think it went into the depth of what you're talking about. Gotcha. It's it's pretty cool. Um, also, the uh, the commentary track over the movie uh, is very interesting. It, it's probably my second favorite DVD commentary. Oh, wow that I've ever listened to because it's John Milius and Arnold and Arnold Schwarzenegger just like talking about pretty much every scene of the movie, like talking about how it was made and whatever. Um, although I think the best DVD commentary that I've ever heard was for big trouble in little China, which I have to watch that. <laughs> oh, it's so good. It's John Carpenter and Kurt Russell just obviously drunk and talking about the movie. <laughs> perfect, perfect yeah. for that movie. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really funny, and you can you can definitely tell that they're both drinking during the commentary recording. So that's awesome. Yeah, I like. I love that. commentary tracks, so yeah, I, w- I would definitely like to hear that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I love them, especially if they're a little bit different. Like if they're not super serious, and mm-hmm. you know, they give you good background. Um. I think the the only other one I like a whole lot at the same level as those is the commentary track for Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog, which was itself its own <laughs> separate musical. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so that uh, that that takes us to the very end of Conan, which was uh, where they were basically setting up for more movies like you were talking about. They had originally yeah. planned for a series of movies. Um they show Conan like sitting on a throne and there's like a little epilogue script that uh, kind of scrolls past in the director's cut. I, I'm pretty sure Mako reads it out uh, in. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. And this, the theatrical one, I think it just scrolls past. 
but you see like an older Conan on a throne um, who's become a king by his own hand and whatever. And that they say that that story will also be told. And then, you know, it wasn't obviously. <laughs> yeah. I wondered about that. Cause I kind of thought there's a lot of King foreshadowing in the movie. Uh, you know, when he got the sword initially and what his uh, love interest says, I actually thought the movie was going to end with him being a king. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, oh, also when he got that treasure, oh, you, you guys could be kings. So I, I kind of thought that's what it was leading up to. I thought it was interesting that it didn't end that way. But I mean, I guess that makes a lot of sense that it's open ended because they planned on at least three more, uh, which unfortunately, you know, there's only one more. But but yeah, 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 I thought it was a good ending. I mean, I, I do like when it's a little open ended, you know, when you're left with some things that need to be wrapped up and the idea that it continues. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I would have liked to see the rest of that story told. Like there was a lot of talk about them revisiting it. Um, There was like uh, this, this was back in the early two thousands, I think, but they were talking about a, like a King Conan movie starring Arnold and Vin Diesel, maybe as like Conan's son. And uh, that never materialized. And then there was some more talk about it just like a couple of years ago, like three or four or five years ago. And uh, that also obviously never materialized. So I don't know. That's too bad. Yeah. What could have been. Yeah. Conan, I, I mean, I can imagine Conan getting stuck in development hell for sure. But Yeah. 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 Well, um, you know, thank you for uh, for introducing me to this film. It was really it was really interesting. I I still I just can't believe like I think that there were some scenes that I vaguely recognized. So I must have seen it on TV at some point, but I never sat down and really like watched it. Oh, my pleasure. I so. I definitely love introducing people to Conan the Barbarian and you know, obviously the reactions are mixed. It's not it's not going to be everyone's bag. But um I think that if you like fantasy movies and if you like action and if you like Arnold Schwarzenegger, or even if you just like any of those three things, it's a real good movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, you kind of answered one of my questions then about uh, how you pitch it to someone. I like I like that pitch. Yeah, I, that's that's basically how I how I pitch it to everyone who I try to get to watch it with me. Um, or you know, if if I'm talking to people who like D and describe it as uh, probably the best D and D movie that has never you know been branded a D and D movie. That's so interesting. Like I've played D&D once or twice ever. So I don't feel like I have enough of a background in it to understand that, but that that definitely makes sense, you know, the way you were comparing the roles and and even the quests. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. I never saw it under that lens before. Yeah, that that's uh I and I feel like again that Conan the Destroyer is maybe even a better D&D movie than Conan the Barbarian is. But Conan the Barbarian is definitely just a better movie. Like, it's better written, better shot, better soundtrack. A lot of the soundtrack carries over, but, like, the original score for Conan is one of the best movie scores, in my opinion, of all time. Like, one of the best That's awesome. Yeah, original scores, anyway. Well, on that note, what what kind of keeps you coming back to this movie? Like, why do you think you've seen it so many times, and, you know, why is it such a cornerstone for you? Well, you know, there's, there's certain movies that um, – have a shot uh, or a scene that just like gives me goosebumps. Like it raises Mm -hmm. the hairs up on my arms. Um, Conan the Barbarian is definitely one of those. Uh, The scene where they're having the the battle amongst the standing stones. um, Also just there, there's, there's a number of scenes in that movie that, that strike me in that way. 
but especially that scene. Um, kind of like with uh, Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, when they're riding down the hill. Uh, that's another one of those scenes that brings me back to that movie a lot. But for this, for Conan, it's definitely the scene where they're doing that. And that, that doesn't happen very often in movies for me. Like, there's a lot of movies that I like that are really good, but not a lot of them have a scene that just, like, literally gives me goosebumps when I watch it. And this this yeah. one does. Uh, the combination of the music and the shot and just, like, what's going on. So... Um, for me, it, it's, it's a lot of that, but also the fact that it, you know, if, if I am wanting just a good fantasy fix or I'm wanting to just kind of like visualize, uh, a D and D adventure to give myself inspiration for, you know, writing a, a session or whatever, this is a good one to go back to for that. Oh, that's really cool. I, I like, I like that feedback. Um, well, Matt, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to, to record this with me. I really appreciate it. I know you asked a while back and I was kind of waiting for an opening and then I sort of had an opening randomly this mm-hmm. week. And, uh, you know, thank you for uh, for jumping into action so quick. I really, really appreciate hey, my it. My pleasure to help out. It was a lot of fun. That's awesome. Yeah, I hope to have you back. And, uh, you know, side note, I, I will edit it out, but we had some technical difficulties tonight. Yeah. So thanks for your patience with that too. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I really, I really do appreciate it. And I think it's, you know, I've had people ask to be on the show before, and I think there's a tendency for people to kind of get discouraged if I don't ask them right away, mm-hmm. but it truly, it truly is just, you know, finding the time, the schedule and just the stars aligning kind of thing, because I try not to plan too far ahead just because if I do that, I'm sort of setting myself up for being like locked into something that might not work Mm -hmm. out. Whereas if I kind of give you generally like a week or two in advance, it's a little bit easier to be flexible um, in case things change. Um, So yeah. So the, the moral of that story is keep asking me, like you're (laughs) never bothering me. And I I would love to have you come back. Definitely. Uh, This has been really fun. And, you know, maybe you'll pick another movie that I haven't seen yet because I, I like these episodes, even though there's a part of me as a movie lover that's like people are gonna go she hasn't seen anything (laughs) but there's just so many movies out there and there's so many genres that you know people just have a different uh everybody's kind of stronger in one area and that's what i like about doing the show is getting to hear other areas that i'm not strong in because i just i want to hear that new experience i want to hear it from your perspective and you know i think that's really cool so again hey my pleasure and you know i'm glad to come back anytime uh and i i can definitely think of several movies already that uh, I would throw out there. So yeah, anytime. All right. Awesome. Well, thanks, Matt. See ya. Hey guys. Thanks so much for listening. It was great having Matt on this week's episode and talking Conan the Barbarian. If you guys have any feedback about this episode or any others, please feel free to reach out to me on Twitter under AYA Lisa Cosplay or on Instagram at AYA and as a Nancy AMI Lisa or in our closed Facebook group, I Love That Movie. Our group is closed, but just send a request and I'll add you. It's a safe space for movie lovers to discuss their favorite films, judgment-free. My only rule is keep it positive. If you like what you heard today, please subscribe and rate the show. If you leave a positive review on iTunes, you'll be entered to win a $20 gift card to a movie theater chain of your choice. We are at 21 reviews, guys, so just nine more and I'll draw again. Uh, Once I get to 30, I'll pick a name. Uh, So leave one today. Thanks so much again and I look forward to hearing from you.